everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Routine, Psychology Day, April of 2022. Sticking to a daily routine can be viewed as rigid and unimaginative. To the contrary, research suggests that routine frees us from overthinking, improves mental health, and can, in fact, foster creativity. Many people ignore the real successes in their lives and put themselves down for being, as they perceive it, unproductive, unmotivated, and unaccomplished. After multiple sessions of hearing my client Mike berate himself in this manner or way, I tried to be relatable. Sometimes I also feel lazy and unmotivated, I told him, but added that I was still usually able to get things done. Motivation can be a powerful driver, but is also fleeting and unreliable. Just consider the last time you felt motivated and how long it lasted. The truth is that it is more useful to have daily routines in place to help us achieve our goals. Imagine a heart surgeon who told you, I can operate well when I'm motivated. You would not risk your health on the hope that this doctor felt motivated on the day of your procedure. Better to have your surgery done by someone who has routines in place that ensure his or her success regardless of how he or she feels. Two recent studies tie both primary routines, hygiene, sleep, eating, and secondary routines, social activities work, to better mental health. Studies of both athletes and non-athletes have found that routines benefit performance by reducing overthinking, which tends to foster stress and pressure. And research on rituals, or regular sets of actions that we do consistently, finds that they mitigate against stress and anxiety because they foster a sense of control. Observe some of the most successful people you know, however you define it, and you will probably notice strong daily routines that result in positive outcomes over time, and more robust mental health as well. Routine. Sticking to a daily routine can be viewed as rigid and unimaginative. To the contrary, research suggests that routine frees us from overthinking, improves mental health, and can, in fact, foster creativity. And this was written by Steve Alexander, Jr., M-A-E-D-M. And again, this is in Psychology Today, April 2022. So, imagine... Your mind is sort of like your computer. And to the extent or degree that your mind may or may not function the way that optimally, the way that you'd want it to, I suppose that it's a good example or a model to capture the operations of the human brain. And actually, in fact, the likelihood is that our computers were pretty much designed with the same sort of operations in mind, or at least conceptualization of human operations in mind. Uh, And that coincides with how our brain works. And actually, there's a branch of psychology uh, called artificial intelligence, a model of artificial intelligence, that actually then uses what we either have come to understand in terms of how the brain functions and operates, but then also translated that into mechanical operations, uh, including software, uh, on our computers. 
But what happens when the computers freeze up? What happens when the computers slow down? What happens when random access memory is not what it should be? What happens when there's multiple processes going on at the same time that is competing for that random access memory? Or you're just general memory in your computer. What happens when our disks <laughs> become corrupted and need cleaned? Uh, all of this in terms of computer talk uh, is basically where I think the concept of human operations and as it might come to this notion of routine might be very useful. You have to occasionally defrag <laughs> your brain uh, and or realize that there is a need for some maintenance of even human operations in the same sort of a way it would be applied to computer, a computer, computer operations, mechanical operations, because there's many processes that are occurring behind the scenes. They're not on your window. They're not on your screen. Uh, but you can hear the computer, <laughs> it's working. And with that, that's usually where the primary failures occur. Uh, you look at the screen and it's not working. You look at the window that you're in and it's not working. And you think to yourself, why? If it freezes up and or it glitches, you think, why? And then you think, well, something behind the scenes at this other sort of level of operation is just not working the way it should be. Uh, it's not occurring the way that it was designed to be. And if you're like most of us at that point, it is at that point that you uh, call somebody to come in and take a look at it. Uh, you, again, defrag. You do some maintenance. Now, fortunately for us, most of the uh, uh, operations, the software, uh, the operational models, computers that we have today have these already built in. Uh, they'll do it for you. You don't have to think about it necessarily. Maybe antivirus programs might be more appropriate to our conversation in this way that you do have to remember to <laughs> run those. Uh, but at the same time, though, if it starts to freeze up, glitch on a regular basis, if it slows down and it's painfully uh, slow, you're going to have to call someone or take it to the shop, I suppose, and take it to the shop, I suppose, to have it repaired. Uh, I don't think we're at a point now where we just throw them away, although there was a time and a place where it was actually somewhat cheaper to go buy a new one and keep up with uh, all the improvements than it was to have the old one repaired. But at the same time, you're not going to throw your brain away. You're not going to be able to so easily uh, call someone in, although that may be what I do for a living. Uh, you may actually end up calling someone like me, setting up an appointment, and then I can go through this process of helping you understand where the disks need cleaned, uh, where you may need to defrag a bit. And uh, again, that gets us back to that idea that this model of artificial intelligence can be very useful within a psychological framework and when it comes to psychotherapy. But specific to the article that I read today, out of Psychology Today, 
uh, on the podcast today, it would be that all those operations uh, that would support the operational system, that would support the overall function of the computer and actually allow it to start and stop and even so as you would uh, download apps and put them on your computer or you would find new apps or, or new software applications. Uh, if the computer's operational system isn't functioning properly, if your ability to take the data that you have and uh, consolidate at any one particular time, and that would be considering how much data you may have in terms of not only on the computer or in your brain, as with stored memory, short-term, long-term, but just at any given moment, there's going to be input. There's going to be things coming in, uh, especially if you're connected to the World Wide Web. <laughs> you're really engaging in some sort of activity uh, with the outside world. It's going to be coming. And you need some manner or way, again, not only in an operational system sort of framework to, to put it all together, but you need to be able to, in some ways, count on those operational systems as it is designed, as it's intentioned, to mediate between that which is inside of you stored, that which is coming in, that which you're accessing, that which you're putting together in some sort of creative sort of dimension or way, to work optimally. The article, I believe, really captures that well. What the article is saying is, is that if the routines, the primary operational systems, at least in my interpretation of it, uh, are operating or functioning properly, optimally, then what you're going to have is you will have then much more random access memory. You'll have much more uh, availability of resource that that represents to address the things that are most immediately going on in your environment. Uh, and I will add to it that with thoughts, uh, there's a, a stream of consciousness, uh, of awareness, that isn't always tied to the outside world. The outside world, I think, always has some part to play in that, to trigger, to prompt, as it might be called, uh, again, in computer sort of terminology. Uh, us to remember something, but at times we're just free flow, free form. We're free floating. Uh, we're going in and out of thoughts. That's what I want to say. And with that, you may be trailing something in a mental sort of way that might capture your attention and distract you from the outside world, which may or may not at any particular moment be significantly risky or not. I mean, if it's a safe, secure place, everything's kind of calm and quiet, daydreaming is perfectly all right. But if you're in a high demand sort of situation, a stressful situation, you're going to want to keep your focus. And with that, that random access memory, with that, the ability to process whatever parts of the brain might correspond to creativity, uh, whether it's in an immediate sort of way, how do I get out of the, the dimension of, of the threat in some sort of imminent term, or as I've sort of determined that I don't have to remove myself completely, but I've got to think fast, 
or maybe even it's after having gotten away from that, survived, hopefully, gotten away from whatever the threat represents, you have more of a chance to be pensive and apply some really intense sort of focus concentration. Uh, all of this that's going on behind the window, <laughs> underneath, and what we call psychologically also the subconscious realm, uh, it's important. But that's where routines come in. Routine is where you've committed yourself, and it includes at least initially a lot of the primary, I'm going to call it primary, operations of attending to the environment, the things that have to be done first of attending to the environment. But once a routine is established, a demand, but once the routine is established, then we can commit those to some sort of secondary operational sort of platform. Now the article kind of reverses that because it speaks of primary operations in terms of primary drives, but, but the primary drive even in some imminent immediate sort of way is triggered by not only some sensation of a need for food, <laughs> hunger, but we also immediately begin to look for where is the food? Uh, how do I get the food? And in that sort of a way, you kind of have to attend in an external sort of manner so you can locate it, get it, meet the need, etc. But if you'll allow me, primary for me will be those things that are most immediate in our conscious awareness. So subconsciously, the more efficient you can become, even if you have to learn it in that same sort of universal way, all the time, you take in data, information, short-term memory, you commit it in some sort of manner to long-term memory, your brain has these operational systems that allows you to catalog it uh, and then to store it, which may be a compartmentalization of sorts, uh, partitioning the drive, too. <laughs> that's an important concept. Uh, and the brain is sort of, again, naturally inclined to do that, our outward sort of in interpretation of that conceptualization as with artificial intelligence would be compartmentalization, uh, partitioning the drive, the hard drive. But when you get back to that notion of storing that in long-term memory or you get to that idea where it doesn't really require a lot of conscious thought, that's really equivalent to freeing up RAM. And if you can free up RAM, and that is then the mediator between you and the outside world, and in regards to this idea of threat, there's a need, I need something. It represents a potential risk of some sort, some greater, some lesser. I have to go about trying to find it, trying to contend with it. Uh, maybe it's an immediate threat, as with life or death. And, and <laughs> anyone who's familiar with the podcast may get a little bit... Uh, Confused why I always seem to go to this idea of life or death, but really in some ways that's the primary place in our body, uh, or, or at least our operational system, bodily operations. That's the uh, ground zero, so to speak. That's the root of all motive, <laughs> because it always comes back to living or dying at some level. 
But when those things actually are attached to life and death, then uh, once more, you don't have a lot of time to think about it. You have to do something quickly. And that RAM, that conscious awareness of that, helps. Now, sometimes you can mislabel that. It may not be as threatening as you initially perceive. Sometimes there's history involved where you've gone through trauma in the past or threat of that dimension of the past, and it triggers this kind of a recall or a flashback, and you have to relive it. But for the most part, that conscious operation not only determines the extent of the threat, but it immediately then begins to help us or assist in our finding the answer, the solution, to remove the threat, to remediate the need or the drive, so that in some way we can then begin to get those things that we need. And with that, words come back to, again, life or death. I know that sounds overly dramatic. That's the only way I can put that. But I don't mean to be histrionic or somewhat dramatic when I say it that way, but I think we just need to realize that's how basic the body operates. Everything has some connection to survival, life or death. And what you do with it then is uh, more of a conscious decision, uh, if you allow it to be, if you can, again, establish in some sort of secure manner, stable manner through these routines. The article mentions control. What can begin to happen though is it allows you to actually adapt better or use those higher cortical, what we call higher cortical or frontal lobe sort of functions. We only call it frontal lobe or higher cortical because that's where it's located. Uh, when you look at the brain, that's where it's at. But those are the Thoughts, the inductive, deductive reasoning operations, abstract thought, um, creativity, problem solving, brainstorming, uh, all of those exercises that allows us then to creatively, dynamically come up with an answer to maybe in some ways not only immediate but long-term sort of demands. And maybe that is in some ways how really it all gets stored or becomes a routine. Once you have a really good answer, as I mentioned earlier, everything starts with a process or processing along these lines. But once you get the data in, once you do that initially, if it's a good answer, you commit it to memory and then you commit it to routine. And it becomes a habit. And then you don't have to think about it. And when you think too much about things all the time, we call that obsessive. And that's not good either. And in that way, then it allows you to more immediately attend to or attend to more in an immediate sort of way that's going on around you and even so inside of you. I want to take a moment, remind our listeners you're listening to Word with Dave Clay. And we're talking about routine and the benefits of that. And we're also talking about how to keep your mental acuity, your mental faculties, uh, working at optimum <laughs> sort of levels of performance. And that would be in terms of not only such a concept as artificial intelligence, <clears throat> but it would be cleaning the disc, defragging. And I'm going to go back to that. Because in psychological terms, that's really what we do when we do counseling, psychological counseling. When someone calls me up, says, hey, <laughs> I need my discs cleaned. I need my, uh, my operation system defragged. Uh, 
I say, oh, okay, I understand what you're talking about. Uh, won't you come on in? We'll sit down and we'll take a look at that. Now, again, it's not exactly the same way that a computer technician would do that. Uh, although there's such things, again, as patches, I think, that we use when we identify some sort of a, of a problem, distortion. Uh, but when you talk and when you process, when you sit down with someone, even yourself, but if you do need the extra help or the additional help of someone outside yourself, uh, which I think is good because that's objectivity. And though you may try your best to be objective, it's impossible to be completely objective because it's coming from you. And though you try to, I'm sure, or one would try to, uh, run all the possible scenarios, look at all the possible or potential perspectives or the scenario from potential perspectives, you're not going to get them all. And uh, even though you can do most of that work for yourself, then there may come a time or a place or a circumstance or situation where you need the extra help, the additional help of someone who could see it more objectively. And once more, I'm going to go back to that notion of bias or prejudice, where things history, things have happened precedent, things that happen of influence from the past, influence in a present context. And you may have gotten a pretty good answer, at least you've survived, whatever it was in the past, historical, when something comes up in an immediate or imminent sort of way and it triggers a memory, because that's what the brain does. It goes back into long-term memory and even more so if it's immediate, it includes that short-term dimension of memory before it's actually encoded or put into long-term. But if there's a bias or prejudice or you didn't get the answer completely, then it could reopen all of that. And not only in an immediate sort of way, uh, with this sort of, okay, where's that memory? <laughs> Decoding it, bringing it out of long-term memory. Uh, okay, well, what did I do in the past? Uh, did it work? Didn't it work? No, it didn't. Or maybe it worked, survived, but it didn't work optimally. And then we take a look at that. And we say, well, maybe this is where there's some corruption. Maybe the subjectivity is really the most corruptible element. Or maybe it is just the fact that you can only know so much in a human lifespan. Maybe it's also that with that, you can only take in so much. We are limited in terms of sensorium or uh, means by which we take in information or data. And or it may be limited because there may be a lot of things happening at once, which gets us back to that notion of the computer freezing or glitching, or it's stalled, and what we have to do is reboot. But that's what we do also with psychological counseling oftentimes. Maybe I don't have to reboot, maybe I don't have to you know, somehow create a patch, or help you create a patch, or maybe I don't have to, in some ways, hopefully we don't have to replace the hard drive, because that's impossible when it comes to humans. But hopefully it's not a fatal error or some sort of problem with your disk uh, that it won't work. Uh, but at the same time, we can identify where that corruption is coming from. We can try to, again, the patch would be work around it, work through it, if we can't totally eliminate it. If we recognize, and it is possible, 
uh, on a physiological basis. There's all sorts of genetic predispositions, uh, which predisposes to anxiety, which is probably the thing out of fight or flight, that primary, again, operational response to threat or need as representative of some life or death sort of dimension, more or less, again. But when that kicks in and we get anxious, our thinking is not clear. Uh, we have too many thoughts. Uh, we're overactive. We're overstimulated. All the RAM is kind of being tied up uh, with some past thoughts that are sort of coming out without, in flashback sort of dimensions, without necessarily the right sort of uh, mediation. Uh, we've not compartmentalized in the proper way or stored in the proper way. We don't have the right app to bring it to an awareness that we need so that it's functional, so we can use it. Or maybe there's just too many apps that are being opened at once and the system freezes and we do reboot. Now, I want to go to this idea of the article mentioning, too, creativity and stimulation. And you can't be motivated at that level all the time. That's true, because that's exactly what will happen, is you'll freeze up. You will be unable to really sort it out. It will, and in that sense, it will represent even greater threat, because I feel out of control. I feel like I can't manage all of this in the proper sort of way. So while we're doing all this unpacking or decoding or applying the memories, the knowledge, mine, what I know, uh, try to conceptualize it within a different perspective or theoretical framework, uh, try to offer some suggestions or advice, possibly that you who would come to see me weren't able to really identify for yourself again alone or your family, maybe they've been too close or even your friends. There's a lot of potential places or possible places you can go to for other perspectives, but not all of them are as trained. And the article mentions the, the notion of surgery, and you go to a surgeon because he's trained, she's trained in protocols and procedures, and so much of that themselves, and themselves, that in that itself, has been committed to routines, and they're capable of helping, whereas others aren't really so skilled. They don't have the same knowledge base. They don't have the same experience base. They don't have the same degree of what I might call wisdom or intuition to help in that manner. So you come see someone like me. But we slow it down. We try to unpack it. We try to begin to regulate it so that we restore some sense of control. It's not overwhelming. Step outside of yourself, or at least into my perspective for a moment, and let's calm down a bit. Let's take the norepinephrine and adrenaline out of the equation so that we can then, with the other neurotransmitters, the sympathetic nervous system, norepinephrine, adrenaline, parasympathetic, dopamine, serotonin, whereas with the article, these were the primary operations of sleeping and eating and clarity of thought and even that idea of satiation, satisfaction, all of that is best accomplished or all of that kind of thinking, rest, being able to look at this without desperation as the, the primary context or the principal context in which you're sort of trying to analyze this, uh, avoid that reactive sort of uh, dimension of it uh, by being more calculated and considered. Uh, I can offer you a way to do that. 
And in that, alleviate some of the anxiety. And in that, we can brainstorm and problem solve. And in that, we can clean the discs, we can defrag. In that, we can properly then come up with an answer, uh, commit it to short-term memory or in short-term memory, use it in the immediacy of the circumstance that you're in to answer the immediate, again, I'll use the word imminent, demand. But store it then. Be able to encode it to put it in a long-term memory storage. It's compartmentalized, but it's cataloged. Your brain is marvelous at knowing how to get there and pull that memory out. Again, in terms of computers, uh, it would be that idea, again, of cleaning the disk or defragmenting. Because you get fragmented files if you're not careful because there's corruption. The corruption in this context, kind of in a more general sort of way, I could say it, is that norepinephrine adrenaline, though it's functional to get you out of danger, of imminent danger, and sometimes you have to be pretty creative to do that, even as much as reactive, there's some sort of creative. It's a different move. It's a different turn. It's a different action than maybe those times before. And it works, but it doesn't work in terms of long-term solutions, and it doesn't work in this way that routines them supply us or provide us long-term memory answers to problems. Again, that notion of healthy, adaptive precedence. We learn from our past situations and circumstances. We, that establishes a foundation or groundwork then to test new ones, but we're always bringing the new information into context of the old. Why? Not necessarily to, to, with the intention of disregarding the old or discarding the old because it's worked. You're still alive. You're still here. You're still functioning. But we want to do the best we can. We want to commit it in some sort of way to almost a somewhat organic or natural sort of application so we can function best. And again, there are physiological reasons why that may not happen. Not everybody's short-term memory and long-term memory operations are the same. Sometimes people do have some sort of a genetic problem, congenital sort of problem with their cognitive operations, emotional systems. But it still does not mean, though, that we can't work around those or work through those. And that's where the psychological counseling comes in. Medicine helps. Knowing where those limitations or liabilities are helps. But at the same time, we want to maximize what still works. And if it's working, even if it's not working to the highest of levels, it functions. And we want to apply what's there. Now, maybe not everybody's computer is going to work the same. Maybe they're not going to have the same sort of processing speed. Uh, maybe their uh, RAM is not going to always be the same uh, at, from one time to the next. That gets back to that notion of motive. But it is something, though, that with motive, we need to learn how to to manage it, and you manage it in an immediate sort of way through your conscious operations, your higher cortical functions, your awareness, your conscious brain, kind of like your RAM, but you also maintain it or you manage it by maintaining the operational systems, continuing to rightly store, to rightly process then store those memories and that data so that when it comes back, it comes back and with that kind of scrub some of the strong emotional reactions. You have experience now. You have a, a certain degree of um, 
empirically so, experience working with any particular instance of threat. And the more you work with it, the more routine you can become at that, the more skilled you can become at dealing with not only that instance, that circumstance, but even so all new demands, the better you're going to be, the more adaptive. Uh, The ability to store just memory in general is important, but what's really important is keeping the RAM, whatever level of RAM that you have, keeping it clean, keeping it functional, so that we can continue to then process to the best of whatever our capability would be. And that's where, again, in psychological terms, we want to assess that, determine what you've done in the past and where you are in the present context. So I'm a big believer in routines. I believe that routines represent then probably some degree of efficacy. Uh, They can get mundane and boring, and some people (laughs) like to create drama for themselves when they feel like they need a little bit more of that norepinephrine adrenaline. You know, they might go to an amusement park. They may actually do something a little bit more riskier, take on a new challenge, try to somehow engage or some how to precipitate some creative sort of motive or dynamic by shuffling situations around. But at the same time, we need to take care of what really allows us to do that. It's foundational. And that's why the article mentions all this in a primary sort of way, uh, primary routines, because eating, sleeping, (laughs) good mental and physical hygiene, even the secondary routines, the social activities and work, as the articles call it, uh, describe it, article describes it, that's all critical then to being able to do what you need to do in that kind of creative way. So you can't live in that high state of motivation all the time. It's not possible. It's not functional. But when it does occur, if you've taken care of yourself in these self-care, this self-care manner that we're kind of describing, that's another way to depict it is self-care. Uh, if you're good at operationally processing emotionally and psychologically, if you happen to take advantage of a psychological counselor or as going back to that notion of something more physical, maybe you're on some medication that helps to mitigate some of the ill effects or the symptoms that are disruptive to your processing in that kind of RAM conscious dimension, uh, the window that you're looking at so that it keeps it operationally functional, uh, then that's great. And you can probably enjoy those really super creative moments and then feel really good that you've notched another thing. You've overcome another hurdle. It's good for your self-esteem. It's good for, again, your feeling of confidence and courage facing new challenges. It's good in that sense in terms of adaptability. But you can't live there all the time. And so we just have to appreciate that routine... Sticking to a daily routine can be viewed as rigid and unimaginative, but to the contrary, research suggests that routines free us from overthinking, improves mental health, and can, in fact, foster creativity. I think that's absolutely accurate. And that article, Routine, was written by Steve Alexander Jr., M-A-E-D-M, and can be found in the April 2022 edition of Psychology Today. I hope that this helps you, not only in terms of better understanding your computer, 
Uh, sadly enough, most of us probably understand our computers a lot better than we understand our own emotional and cognitive functions, but more so than toward the emotional and cognitive operations, the psychological dimension. I hope this has helped you some. So that if you're glitching a bit, if you're frozen a bit, if you've not really done the best job of defragging or cleaning the discs, that you'll know a bit more of how to do that. And should you need help, you won't feel intimidated. Call someone up. Call a specialist. Uh, Get the help you need. And if it does help, I want to invite you back to the next podcast of Word with Dave Clay. Until then, good health and good mental health.